Hi, this is Stephen Laddick. And I'm Kent McPhail. Welcome to What the M, the podcast about the mortgage default servicing industry. What the M is a bi-weekly podcast with new episodes dropping every other Friday. So, Steve, how's it going? How are your holidays? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to all of, the, of our listeners out there. Holidays were a lot of fun, a lot of good time with family. It's uh, hard to believe we're already here in January and back at it. Looking forward to a bright, good 2024. So do you have uh, a lot of family home? Your kids all get home for the holidays? Kids were home. We had about 20-some people for uh, Christmas dinner, which was a good day, a lot of fun. I love it. Well, uh, you want to introduce the theme of today's show, Steve? Certainly. Uh, And again, welcome everyone to 2024. Happy to have everyone here. In today's show, we're going to focus on the topic of property preservation and the relation to the mortgage servicing industry, as well as its interplay with handling defaulted mortgages. Our guest today attended Stephen F. Austin University, where he studied political science and economics. He has worked in many various roles in the niche markets of property preservation and default servicing. He has also held executive positions at mortgage servicers, national preservation companies, Fortune 500 companies, as well as his own privately held company. He has worked in every servicing level through the life cycle of default mortgages. Additionally, he's very active in the mortgage servicing industry, where he has spoken at various five-star events, as well as legal league events. He is currently the COO at Black Dome Services. Please welcome to the show, Jesse Randall. Thanks for having me today. I certainly uh, am excited to be a part of this uh, podcast, and it's always good to see old industry friends like yourselves. I appreciate that uh, that warm introduction. Well, welcome, Jesse. Uh, happy New Year to you. Glad that you're here. So we'll jump right in. As we as you heard in your bio, the market of property preservation is a niche industry within the mortgage servicing industry, and it continues to evolve like every other aspect of the industry. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in the industry? Yeah, so it was actually just kind of dumb luck, if you will. Um, after after college, I was uh, kind of just looking for a job, and I went to work in the uh, in the oil field drilling um, water and gas wells, and I did that for a few years, and it really just was not a good fit for me. And so I started looking for, you know, office jobs, if you will. And my brother worked for this company called Field Asset Services, and he explained it as we clean houses. And so that was about the most he would ever really say about it. Um, However, they were hiring and I was looking. And so it was kind of a match made in heaven, if you will. And uh, I've never forgiven him for getting me into this industry, but I certainly, certainly appreciate um you know, him and Dale and Johnny and some of the other folks at FAS, uh, whenever I started for uh, helping me on this journey to where I am today. So, um, but in a nutshell, it was really just kind of dumb luck. Um, I I wasn't expecting to be in the industry for this long. I kind of felt like whenever I started, this was going to be a springboard position to other things. And here we are almost 20 years later and still grinding it out in property preservation. So... Yeah, I firmly believe that uh, life is like a train and it typically takes you where you're you're supposed to be. Maybe not where you thought you were going, but um, to that end, so you're at Black Dome Services now. What what exactly is your role there? 
So Kent, thanks for asking. Um, I'm currently the COO of uh, Black Dome Services. We are one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing property preservation um, group out there. Um, I understand we have many competitors that are much, much, much larger than us, um, but we are growing. And I think uh, it's it's due in part to a combination of things. We've got a lot of talented people on our team that, that work really hard, very knowledgeable in the industry, very well connected. Um, we also kind of lean into technology and kind of thinking through some of the more complex problems we face as an industry and how do we utilize the resources available, think outside of the box, retool, um, and just kind of increase productivity, reduce client risk, and you know yield obviously the maximum value that we can for the work that we're performing in the field. You know, tell us a little bit about the role of property preservation in the default industry, because some listeners may not be familiar with actually everything that you do on a day-to-day basis with regard to a defaulted loan. And then also tell us how you can, how you can work with uh, default law firms like ours to assist in the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great question. So the role of property preservation is often overlooked, right? I think the general public's assumption is that you know, these, these banking entities and lending institutions, you know, just snap their fingers and the property is ready to go and be on the market, right? Our main responsibility and role in this is kind of a vendor management company because Black Dome itself, we're not performing any tasks on our own accord. We're overseeing, we're providing the oversight, the layer of risk protection for these lenders. Um, so we have to make sure that we're informed and utilizing informed of the correct local statutes and state laws and guidelines, and then utilizing the appropriate vendor that fulfills those requirements. Even things that are as simple as used to be as simple as, you know, a a door knock inspection, right? Where you're just trying to verify occupancy by knocking on the door or placing a, a, a placard on the door, right? Contact your mortgage company. Some states have found that to be a debt collection activity. So if we're not utilizing a licensed debt collecting individual, then we are outside of the law on that and get fined for it. So there's all of these little nuanced risk that's out there that impacts our ability to go out and just clean a house, cut the grass, you know, patch a roof, you know, any of the smaller things that they do or want done to liquidate an asset in the future. So, Jesse, I assume it's like a real challenge. You know, I had a long drive up to central Mississippi and I passed a little town called Buckatuna, Mississippi. So if you need a plumber in Buckatuna, Mississippi, how on earth do you go about finding that licensed, qualified plumber in a very, very remote area of any given state? It's got to be a huge challenge. It, it, it's, it's a challenge to find someone more local, generally. But the reality is, is it just ends up costing more money, right? And depending on the circumstances, you know, and the client relationship and what's, what's involved and what's allowed and what's not allowed, sometimes that increased cost is passed on to the client. And sometimes it's just something that we absorb to be a good partner. Or generally speaking, we would find probably the nearest metro or the nearest population center and just pay someone a significant amount of money to go to, I'm not even sure what you said, Bacunda, 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 I probably mispronounced it. 
I'm from Mississippi. I should know how to pronounce this. I mean, I've driven by it, you know, countless times. Well, that that really is a good lead into my next question and our topic. So, you know, all of us in the industry, law firms alike, are chained to a lot of the GSE, government servicing entity mm-hmm. fee structures. And it's my understanding that there's recently been some changes as it relates to property inspections. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that and, and what impact that has on your business model and the industry? Yeah, absolutely. We certainly appreciate those increases in inspection fees. It's something I think that's kind of overdue for our industry. Our, our pricing has been kind of stagnant since about 2002. There's not been any significant shifts in pricing since then, other than you know the recent accommodation for increased fuel prices and labor costs on the inspection side. However, um, we are part of we we as in Black Dome are a member of NAMPS, and part of part of NAMPS is the pricing initiative, where we are actually putting forth effort to have some of those pricing guidelines amended um, at the federal level so that we can receive more money for winterizations and lock changes and things like that. The static pricing does not keep up with the cost of inflation, if you will. I have many friends that work for many other nationals and regionals, and it's something we all struggle with and face. You know, Our margins have just continued to shrink year over year. And you know, one thing I'm proud of about Black Dome and, and one thing that we've kind of always been consistent on is we pay more than anyone that I'm aware of. And and that's intentional, right? Because we understand that those labor rates have increased and we're doing everything we can to be a good partner to our field agents that are going out and performing this work. You know, we want them to kind of, in short, take the money off the table where they know that they're making enough that they don't have to go home at night wondering, how did I work all day and lose money by performing a set of services because of the fee schedule? So if we can do those things for our field network, it just demonstrates our loyalty to them because we're super appreciative of everything that they do and we wouldn't exist without them. Jesse, one of the questions that we typically ask anybody on the show is, do you have any thoughts about what default volumes are going to be going into 2024 and what effect that may have or may not have on your industry? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one because I think that the answers that, that are out there in the kind of the general public for us to review are all over the place. There's certainly some economists that say it's going to be, it's going to be great. Home values are going to continue to improve. You know, the market's going to continue to flow seamlessly. And then there's others that are not necessarily doomsdayers, but, you know, there's there's a conflicting opinion on where the market goes. But I think that there are a lot of interesting variables that should be considered in terms of how the market shifts. I mean, first of all, we've got an election year coming up, right? So the federal actions on things tend to be a little bit different than they would be on a non-election year, right? So, you know, that's that's one kind of, I guess, driver, if you will. Um, we also have an aging boomer population, you know, from the from the baby boomer era, era that, you know, is, is continuing to age that has a significant portion of home ownership that I don't think always makes it into some of these models. Um, there are other, you know, credit card debt is at an all time high. Defaults on on cars are upticking and auto loans are upticking. So there's there's certainly things out there that lend itself to the belief that 
ARIA volume will pick up. And I think to a degree, it likely will, especially with the slowdown of acquisition by these SFR clients. But I don't think it's going to be 2010 all over again by any means. You know, I think it's just going to be one of those things that cycles up. And then we're we're probably going to hit some sort of static run rate over a period of time. I I don't know that it's going to necessarily be a, a huge dip. But, it, but I also don't think it's going to be a huge increase from where it is today. I don't see us getting back to 2010, but I do think there'll be, there has to be some uptick just to get back to a normal historical level. We're still only at about 66% of the historical level. Yeah, so that's a, that's, it, that's a great point, Steve. I, 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 I tend to agree <laughs> that we are definitely lower than we've ever been. It, it, it's just there's so many variables and factors that are going to come into play in terms of what does that look like in the next 12 months. And I don't know that anyone is going to be 100% correct on any of their estimates. One of my favorite things about doing this podcast is I always hear something that gives me a different perspective than I'd even considered. And (laughs) and quite honestly, you know, we've talked about more of our sales going third party, and I'd not even consider the effect that that would be having on the property preservation. I mean, if investors are buying the property on the courthouse steps, then you're not having to maintain or the clients not having to maintain the grass, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, so, all right. This, this show, Jesse, often veers into the sports realm, Ooh. even though it's a mortgage industry uh, podcast here. But we just finished the college bowl season and we have a national championship coming up in a few days. And uh, I know you are a big Texas A&M fan, so. Just been dying to hear your thoughts on Jimbo and the fact that the SEC will not be in the championship for once. Yeah, Um, it's hard to say, because on one hand, I'm glad Jimbo has kind of been pushed aside. I I hate that it cost us as much money as it did for that to take place. I think that was probably one of the least thought out contracts that you could have imagined. (laughs) especially with the extension that he received after I think his second year, you know, um, to add more years and more guaranteed money onto it to an already huge guaranteed contract. So I thought that was a little, a little odd, but I understand, you know, we're hungry for a, a championship in college station. And so, you know, I think the belief was if we buy a coach, right, that can lead us there, then, you know, that's, that's one factor. But I think, I think that Mike Elko is a great hire. I think that he was the smart hire. I know he's not as flashy as some of the other names that were mentioned, you know, the Ryan Days or the Norwells, you know. Um, but I think for what he brings to the table and the balance that he he offers, I think it was a really good hire. I'm very excited. I'm more excited about Elko than I was when Jimbo was hired, if I'm being honest. Um, I wish we would have... Uh, gone a different direction than Jimbo originally. I was never a huge Jimbo Fisher fan, but you know, I think that he did instill some of the things at A&M that needed to be instilled. I think things got a little lackadaisical there for a bit. And, you know, he kind of came in and put a little more of a hard nosed approach to it. I think the problem with that is he alienated some of the players and lost the locker room is the way that it seemed right. I'm not a player. I'm not in the locker room. That's just my perception, if you will. Um, I, I, I do want to let all the A&M fans out there know that I would be willing to 
get fired or leave for half of the money that it took them to <laughs> get Jimbo Fisher to leave. And so mm-hmm. I am I am available. I'm on the market. I, you know what? And I would love for you to bring me on as maybe an assistant, you know, like an offensive coordinator or something along those lines, because I think that uh, we could have done as good with the talent that AM has as Jimbo did. <laughs> and that's not taken away from, from the staff that at Texas AM, but, you know, the results were uh, less than desirable, if you will. I, I got to attend the Peach Bowl and watch Penn State lose to Ole Miss. And had to sit there and just listen to SEC, SEC. Did you kind of start oh, going into man. it there towards the end? Just kind of bring you over like you kind of started thumping your fist with it? But my son was at the Rose Bowl, so he he got it better. So Yeah, well. Well, I, I could listen to SEC all day long, but the hottie toddy cheer is the one that's just brutal. So <laughs> better you than me. Hey, Jesse, we've got one last question. We ask everybody this. And – uh the, the question is, if you had the opportunity to sit down with the 20-year-old version of yourself, what advice would you give that young man based upon where you are now and what you've learned in life? I think if I was setting down to my 20-year-old self, I would probably say, be a little more thrifty with your money. You know, <laughs> maybe don't spend as frivolously as, uh, as you want to in your 20s or, or desire to for whatever reason. Um, and, and really just stay the course. I, I kind of look at life as, you know, you win or you learn. So, you know, there are certainly plenty of mistakes that I think I've made in my life. I think that most people could say the same, you know, and this kind of just all stems from a conversation I actually had with my dad. You know, he, he kind of asked me if you, if you could go back and change anything that you've done, what would that be? And so that kind of, it kind of made me think. And so, uh, you know, I sat there for a minute and I just kind of said nothing. And he's like, really? And he's like, explain. So I said, you know, every right or wrong decision that I've made in my life has led me to where I am today. Good, bad, and ugly outcome, whatever it is, expensive, cheap, whatever you want to call it, right? Whatever that outcome was, has kind of directed my life to where I am professionally with my friends and relationships that I have. Um, in the industry and outside of the industry, the relationship I have with my wife, my kids, all of those things that, you know, I think people work to attain and preserve. And so I think if I would have changed any of those kind of bigger decisions or questionable decisions, it could have led me down a completely different path than, and that wouldn't be where I am today and arguably not as happy as I am today. So I, I kind of look at it as, you know, you you just kind of go through the process and, and know that you're going to make wrong decisions. You're going to make mistakes. Hopefully it's nothing too catastrophic. Um, but, you know, just stay the course and, you know, you, you know who you are, you know what you are, you know where you came from. Just, you know, display that every day. You're going to be fine. Well, that's uh, great, great, great advice. Well, uh, I want to tell you, we really, really appreciate you taking the time to be a guest on the show today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure and look forward to seeing you. Are you going, are you going to be down at NBA in Orlando? or? I think I'm likely going to attend the NBA. I, I generally do, although I skipped last year. I, I can't remember why. I had some sort of scheduling conflict last year, I believe. Um, well, I hope, hope to see you down there, Steve. 
Thanks. Thanks, Jesse. Truly appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, guys. We appreciate you guys having us. And uh, I thank you guys for allowing me to come on here and plug Black Dome a little bit. If anybody out there is listening, needs some property preservation work or construction, call me at Black Dome. We're happy to help. So next week, our guest, or two weeks from now, our guest is going to be Eric Qualm, and, and we're going to be focusing on focus and uh, a book that he wrote on that subject. And uh, look forward to that. Jesse, thanks again. Y'all have a great day. Uh-huh. Thanks, guys. Y'all be good. If you like what you hear on our podcast and want to hear some more, please rate, review, and subscribe to What the M on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to visit with us on social media, we can be found at What the M Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.